Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. This is season three, episode four. Today's episode is on relationship anarchy. As always, I'm Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. So, like I was saying, today's episode is going to be on relationship anarchy. And today we've got my friend David Overton with us. You might remember him from season two, episode three, which was our episode on love in the time of COVID-19. He was, as you might recall, or rather is, uh, a community organizer from Massachusetts. Um, And he's, again, with us to sort of generally talk about principles that apply to his life uh, in kind of a big theoretical way with me. Before we really get into that, I, as always, want to sort of do some housekeeping stuff. So as always, you can find the Ready for Polyamory blog at readyforpolyamory.com, and you can find related links to today's subject, Relationship Anarchy, uh, in the show notes. You can find a general sort of what is Relationship Anarchy link as well as a couple of related uh, posts that expand more deeply. You can also find the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto linked below, uh, which we reference a bunch of times during the episode. It's a pretty simple document, and we end up reading a bunch of it in sort of bits and pieces throughout the episode. But if you want to just be able to look at it all at once, that's linked in the show notes. So, um, oh, and as always, I want to thank my Patreon patrons for basically keeping the lights on here at the podcast. Uh, They are, as always, Timmy, Corwin, Jacqueline, and the Green Wolf podcast. So if you want to join them, uh, that's at patreon.com slash ready for polyamory. If you don't want to make a sort of monthly contribution, but you really like this episode or any other episode and want to give me a sort of one-time tip in my hat, we've got a Ko-Fi, which is at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. And if you generally want to just be able to keep up with what we're up to, we've got the subscribe button on the website, which sends you an email when we update with new posts. Or if you want to follow our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash ready for polyamory, Uh, I post all of our sort of new content on there. And I'm also on uh, Instagram at ready for polyamory and on Twitter where I'm under my own name at lauracb88 where I'm just kind of generally silly and also post with updates of new content. So now let's get into today's topic, which is relationship anarchy here with David Overton talking generally about theory and applications of relationship anarchy. Let's take a beat there and get into some definitions for a second. Sure. So relationship anarchy is a relationship philosophy that is kind of an outgrowth of the political philosophy of anarchy and it it's hard to sum up in one sentence but in its sort of most basic and technical sense um it's 
anti-hierarchy, anti-government intervention in relationships. It's pro-autonomy. It's pro-community interdependence. And it's anti-monogamy. And it requires that people figure out what kind of relationship they want with each other Mm -hmm. in virtually every relationship they have in their life. And that doesn't just mean like the super well societally understood, super well-defined big romantic relationships. And it doesn't just mean like your biggest relationships with your best friends. Relationship anarchy will call literally anything that you do as an interaction with people on any variety of the regular a relationship. It's like your relationship with your coworkers is a relationship. Right. Uh, And it sort of views all of these things as things that you have to negotiate what you owe to each other. Right. 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 I, I look at it as an informed consent type of thing, you know, where having definitive conversations about what you owe to each other to continue a relationship, make sure that there isn't misinterpretation before you do a certain thing for somebody. And while that seems inherently selfish, um, I, I think more people would be served for doing so. Um, you know, it, it kind of forces you to take stock about what you're going to be doing and and um, at least in, 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 in the, the ideal sense, right? Like obviously various people implement it to various levels of, of uh, success. I would say the best way that I describe myself um, would, would probably be similar to, to how you do it just because it definitely feels slightly imposter syndrome considering I'm legally married. And, and one of the parts that you talked about about ha- not having that need for government recognition, but also I became married before that. And I would say that in my headspace now, while I love my wife and I still very much consider her my wife in, in various aspects of the term, um, you know, I could go without being legally married and that wouldn't bother me at all. I don't know how my wife feels. <laughs> Maybe but, you uh, should have asked her before you recorded it. Oh, <laughs> she she she's used to me kind of saying what I want and dealing with it. <laughs> so this uh, relationship anarchist like larger concept is now kind of a big, well-known international thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was all all these anarchist ideas are kind of large and international now but they all start like tiny and local and sort of travel almost virally in the sense that things travel virally on the internet not virally in the sense of the last year of viral transmission right um and so there's this relationship anarchist manifesto document that got published online in 2006 in uh, in Swedish that uh, was translated into English uh, more recently than that, that is sort of the document that everybody refers back to when they're trying to like disagree over what relationship anarchy is or isn't. 
uh, whenever which people seems, are fighting which about it. Quite, which seems to be quite a silly concept to, right. to argue when you're arguing about anarchy. Exactly. <laughs> but there is one of the reasons for frequent disagreement about it is that as soon as this concept hit the United States, not to get down on us as a country, but also to get down on us as a country because um, it's the national pastime. Uh, <laughs> there is a certain subset of people here who view like rabid individualism as sort of the only way to do relationships. And so when you get to um, polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous principles like trying to manage your own boundaries and your own emotional needs, they hear that and take it like six steps too far. <laughs> and so instead of getting to, like they hear sentences in the Relationship Anarchist Manifesto like, Deciding to not base a relationship on a foundation of entitlement is about respecting others' independence and self-determination, right? right? Your feelings for a person or your history together does not make you to in make you entitled to command and control a partner to comply with what is considered normal to do in a relationship. They hear that and they go, oh, that means that you have to own your shit and you don't get to tell me to follow any rule ever. We can't make any agreements about anything. Manage well, and, all your own feelings, and I'm not going to help you process anything ever, no matter what. And so relationship anarchy became like the buzzword for that person. <laughs> right. And I, and, I, and I think there's two aspects there, too. One, I feel like the lack of compromise is definitely an aspect there that then taking that step too far um you know like it's 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 my thing or not at all yeah. and while that is understandable i think i'm, I'm a pretty flexible person I, I sometimes maybe too much and i feel like there's definitely aspects that i'm still working on in terms of like making sure that i'm compromising with my own within my own boundaries mm -hmm. and i think that's that's attractive to, to people who aren't used to enforcing them. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've had X amount of bad experiences. So thus I'm only going to do what's within my comfort zone at all times. And I, I definitely feel like that can lead to situations where you don't grow as a person because you're not challenging yourself to go outside of, I'm going to go with, um, so that's why I say that. Sorry, celebrating 420. <laughs> um, you started with, you're pretty good at compromise within your boundaries, but sometimes you've had reasons to learn to stick within them because people can take advantage of that. Right. Yeah. So like took a left turn and now I don't know where the thought is going. Right. I feel like you've gone right off the rails. That's okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. I just don't know where it was trying to go. <laughs> right. Um, so I would say, I would say over the past couple of years, I've definitely tried to uh, be better with that. Um, the pandemic's definitely also given me 
some space to do some additional work on um, being smarter with my boundaries, recognizing when something um, makes me uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, and, and question, am I doing something because I want to do something or am I doing something because I'm trying to guess what the other person wants from me? And I feel like I've definitely had some periods and times, periods of time in my life where I got into the habit of trying to anticipate what my partner wants versus versus asking or asking for a redefinition of what we're expecting from each other and led to a bad time. <laughs> you know, there's not really a great way to say that where the heteronormative relationship escalator mistakes that I did in my past with, you know, now we did this. Does that mean now we're doing this? And, and, and having these ingrained and learned uh, dynamics of what something means. So for mm -hmm. example, uh, you know, we were just sexually intimate. Now that means I should start having these types of feelings, or that means I should start having these types of expectations, even though we haven't had a definitive conversation about it. Um, and it doesn't even have to be something sexual. It, it can be, you know, you want to say you go on a trip, you know, then there's that unspoken, well, maybe we can do it again next year. And you don't really say it until a point of no return or, or building expectations from previous relationships and kind of projecting them on new ones. And, and expecting relationships to go through a certain flow or else they're not successful. Uh, milestones uh, definitely, I think, is um, an aspect there in terms of, you know, if I don't make this milestone within X amount of time, does that mean that I'm not successful in this relationship and I should change it or end it or, or do something drastic? I like to think I like to think of my relationship anarchy like mine because it's definitely not strict to the manifesto is uh, allowing myself to be comfortable in gray areas. You know, I can be friends with somebody and I can be intimate with them and I can love them, but maybe I only see them once every three months because they're far away or you know, they're, they've got a job and they're, they're really focused on that or they have kids and, you know, they only have so much time away from those kids to be able to spend more adult time with me. Um, you know, there's a lot of unintentional rewriting of, of norms and standardizations to accommodate various types of interactions. So like, like, you know, long distance, um, you know, when you're potentially getting in a long distance relationship with someone. And I feel like even monogamous people kind of have some sort of discussion of what that means in a way, you know, because there, there's more to determine of what's acceptable there versus seeing each other semi-frequently or daily because you're in a committed relationship. Right. I feel like 
most relationship anarchy starts at a baseline of, well, let's assume that we're starting off the escalator and then from there customize further. Right. Right. So we're going to start from a baseline of we're knocking the escalator off the track and then see what else we need to readjust. So it's this one of the the like points that gets made in the little manifesto that I hadn't sort of realized was in there, but I'd I'd always seen brought up as like one of the points of relationship anarchy in other rewritings of it, but I hadn't realized was in the original was that idea of not having your relationships be based on sort of your fear of not following norms. Mm. And I hadn't realized that that was in the original. Right. Until I went to reread it because we were going to be recording this. Right. Um, and I was like, I should look at what the original actually says. Um, <laughs> Good idea. Well, because I was like, it's been a couple of years since I actually looked at right. uh, the main text. And I saw that that was actually like one of the nine major lines. Tenants. It, yeah, is um, like ends with don't let fear leave you. Right. Right. So it's basically this idea that like there are all of these norms that other people are going to say should be guiding your relationships and if your relationship happens to fall in line with some of them cool whatever but if it doesn't or if it falls in line with none of them or if it falls in line with very few of them well don't let fear convince you that you need to make your life do so and find community and loved ones to help you get yourself through the patches of fear that that make it feel impassable because like i think everybody has those time periods where it's like this is awful why am i doing this (laughs) (laughs) right like like where you're in the early stages of something and like new relationship energy feels more like new relationship anxiety like you know, that doesn't mean that there's not like random days or nights where people aren't in this like long, dark tea time of the soul as Douglas Adams would have it. And, you know. I guess, I guess I would look at it as like where, where one of the that thing where you said, you know, dying alone. Like I would even talk about the idea that when people mean that, you know, they talk about it as, uh, romantic relationships right it's in that context of uh, not dying alone would be having some sort of romantic entanglement and you know I think to and it's getting a little getting a little personal here but I, I, you know I think to uh, when my mom passed and it was at her wake and I met people there that I never met before that that impacted my mom that she made the difference of every day through work and, and there was a whole section of her life that 
I knew about her work, but I didn't know these people until they came to pay their respects to my mom. And like, she was just, she was a waitress, you know, they, they, they had such a good relationship with my, my mom that they decided to make the effort and dress nice and show up to her wake. And like, we all make, like, unless you're a hermit, you know, we all make certain impacts to people um, and connections where, you know, if I died today, I think I'd probably have a good amount of people going to my funeral, uh, you know, who gave a shit about who I was, who decided that my life was worth, you know, remembering or, or shitting grief over. And, and I think while it sounds kind of morbid, I think that's kind of the, the, at least my, my goal of what relationship anarchy is. It's about fostering as many relationships that I can uh, that are meaningful in some way, in a way that I can feel connected to somebody, that I can feel uh, a kinship with, uh, and, you know, I could be in love with them or just really like them. I could be sexually intimate with them. I could live with them. I could have these varieties of different building blocks of what someone is to me without having definitive connections around that. To have this piece, I need this piece. To have this aspect, I must have this aspect. And you can have those rules for yourself but it doesn't mean you get to foster them and push them onto other people. You know, it's, it's cause I think while I'm not going to tell my partners, they have to be relationship anarchists to date me or to be friends with me or have an intimate friendship. Um, I would definitely say that I would encourage them to find their own independence uh, in part for my own selfish reasons, right? This idea of, having a definitive conversation with somebody and saying, you know, these are what we're going to be for each other and trying to kind of prophetize that aspect of like, you should do this with your other partners so you can have a better understanding of what you want for people and see if you can get a more customized fit rather than all this other baggage that kind of complicates the relationship because you're not talking about what those dynamics are. I'm not sure I understood the last bit of what you said because it sounded like you said two opposite things. <laughs> like it first sounded like you said that you didn't want people to like over guess and over sort of prophesy what their future relationships were going to be you just wanted them to focus on what their need was in the moment right but then it sounded like you were saying you wanted them to try to get a like extremely custom fit and meet every need they could possibly have so that they could oh, continue oh, I, to meet their needs and that sounded like sorry like when i say custom, when i say custom be... yeah so if i remember when i say custom i don't <laughs> sorry so let, let's let's define that in, in that context then 
So when I say custom, I don't mean like a definitive, like pimped out to the nines, exactly what you want. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about where Sorry, I'm just imagining, like putting your a lift kit on your partners. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So like when we talk about like, like, like the idea of customizing, I'm not talking about as, you know, built to order. I'm talking about the a la carte, I think would be the best way to talk about it. And like the idea of, of, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I like you, but I like, I'm only interested in these types of dynamics. And if you are too, that's great. And if you aren't, then that's fine. And thank you for taking care of yourself. And you know what I mean? Like I asked about one of my best friends, Kat, um, mm-hmm. years ago, years, years, years ago. And, and we went on a couple dates and at the end of the second one, she was very clear that she just wasn't feeling romantic vibes. And, and she, and then she went, I'd understand if you don't want to be friends. And I go, well, I asked you out because I thought you're awesome. So like, just because romantic slash sex isn't on the table, you know what I mean? Like, I still want to be friends. Like, I really like you anyway. And just the look of relief on their face of, of, because they expected that, right? Like, well, if I'm not offering sex, then this guy's gonna bounce. Um, and, and that's in part because of previous expectations and, and situations they've had, right? So in a way, you know, when you're, you're trying to give everybody a fair shot too, in a way, you're not allowing your previous um, experiences dictate what you do forward because you're not assuming that somebody has this definitive way of being right so i agree with the principle of that i don't something about the way it's being presented as like uh well i've got this space let's see if it fits feels kind of weird but I think that's just because I've been on one too many dates where it turned out partway through the date that like they were interviewing for the job opening of secondary (laughs) on every third Tuesday but like well and 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 like one like where where you went went where you talked about how um well, and like, that's fine if that's actually what someone's looking for. But it's also one of those things where like, you probably should be pretty upfront that that's what you're looking for. Well, I, I would say that, yeah. So, so again, going back to, um, you know, the conversation around expectations, you know, if you're already on your third date and you're kind of having that oh, like, by the way, even though after we had sex, like, I'm only looking for this type of relationship. I look at that as an informed consent issue, you know, because, like, I'm selling one thing and now all of a sudden, like, I'm, I'm this. And, and, and that's definitely a thing that I've heard from a lot of people, especially, uh, you know, AFAB in terms of, uh, you know, I did this with this person for X amount of weeks. And then once this thing happened, suddenly, you know, they didn't want that thing anymore and, and they're selling a different thing. And 
And like, that's, that's definitely an aspect where um, I find there's a lot of disappointment and frustration with dating. Yeah, that's kind of a whole separate issue and I'll put it to the side, but the basic point, well, it's connected. It's connected in that all of this is connected by the experience of how you form relationships, which is dating, but assuming that everyone is acting as a well-intentioned good actor that's a separate issue (laughs) that's a big assumption to make um but it's a big assumption we kind of have to make well right i mean if you look even in the in in the thing you know like it's talking about um trust is better uh first line Right. Choosing, choosing to assume that your partner does not wish you harm leads you down a much more positive path than a distrustful approach. So, like obviously, dating someone new, you have a you know a lowish level of trust, and you try to gain that through shared experiences or however you um, you kind of ascertain if someone's trustful or or trustworthy. Sorry, that'd probably be a better word for that. Well, right, and it this trust is better section um kind of dovetails off of the early section about about finding your core relationship values by saying that having found your core values you need to like hold on to them and take care of yourself because if you do that it makes it easier to like there's a section that's like find your core values there's a section that's like go into relationships intending to meet people like if the point of the relationship is to like meet and explore one another right then going in intending to be trustful and intending to mutually be in this like sense of wonder with one another throughout a relationship Right. And going in in a trusting way to do that, it's pretty hard to like fall apart from there unless someone is actually acting in bad faith. Right. Um, and the thing is, we're all human. So, of course, mistakes get made and then you have little fallings out. Right. But right. If everyone's being trustful, it's pretty easy to repair them. Yeah. I think. Um, and the big problems happen when someone acts in bad faith yes like how do you root out someone who is uh, not just being dishonest but then the differences of um, accepting the dishonesty and bad faith acts well sometimes it's not even that someone's acting in bad faith it's that you have different core values and nobody identified that until later. Right. Because um, in this area, you didn't identify them in until later. And when you identify them, you identify them in a spectacular manner. So even <laughs> acting trustfully, you're like, shit, I didn't know that we disagreed on this spectacularly important issue. Right. And then there's right, a lot right. of hurt in the process of discovering it. So, I mean, like, 
I guess I would say is I was kind of speaking my mind on that part in terms of, of personal experience, honestly. Yeah. All of these things are about basically communicating and communicating ongoingly. Just so the thing that separates relationship anarchy from polyamory is essentially the fact that it would like to be separated most of the time. Well, I also because think they that can there's... overlap. They can. Yeah. But because relationship anarchy, like, purposely in its first little tenet, uh, rejects hierarchy. Right. It rejects, like, a big subsection of polyamory by doing so. And then in some of its later sort of subsections it requires some commitment customization that some forms of polyamory don't do right so you sort of have to be a non-hierarchical polyamorist who is willing to own all of their own shit and to always take adherence to rules as well my policy is that i Instead of ever going, well, my partner has a rule that. Well, right. And so, well, because so like you can frame things and take responsibility where if your partner has a rule, you don't put it on your partner. You say, I've agreed to this. Exactly. You always have to frame things in your own ownership if you're going to try to be a relationship anarchist. Right. Right. So if you're in the mindset where you're willing to own your own part in shit and you're willing to sort of do the communication work and do the ongoing kind of constant reframing and constant rejigging of commitments because it doesn't have to be constant but it has to be at least occasional enough that when something changes you actually consider whether your commitments need to change. Right. Uh, there's an aspect there, uh, a sunk cost. I think that is uh, an uh, sunk cost and obligation. The idea around, you know, I've been with this person for X amount of time. So thus, by definition, they're more important. Mm-hmm. And, and any divorced person can probably tell you that's not true. Um, (laughs) um, you know, and I, and I think that it's, it's difficult because I do personally prioritize certain aspects of my current relationships in a way where, you know, I own a house with my wife. Um, you know, I currently co-house with my partner, Shannon, um, you know, like untangling that is definitely um, a deterrent from making certain rash decisions that might be easier to do with someone that I don't live with. And is that hierarchy? Is that uh, an obligation that I mindlessly obey? Or is it something that I can have a definitive decision about myself 
where I'm going to add a little bit more weight to those types of uh, entanglements because not because it's, it's what to do, but it's because I've decided to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, and I think there are definitely some people who might listen to this, who thinks that it's the same thing, but I, I, I think there is a definite difference between feeling obligated because of those dynamics versus the decision of just like, you know, uh, I got into owning a house. I got into co-housing in part because making those decisions to me is kind of buying into the, some of those dynamics, you know, like I'm going to try to get through some of the more difficult parts of a relationship in part because I've made this additional level of commitment of entanglement. So you're saying you put up structural barriers to getting out of relationships? Uh, I mean, don't you think that's what it is? Like get it, like, isn't that, isn't that part of what makes me um, not a relationship anarchist is that underpinning of, I'm, I'm married to Elizabeth. You know what I mean? I made a decision, you know, almost 10 years ago to get the government involved and to make it more difficult to end a relationship for realistically it's stability purposes. Right. You know, I mean, that's what marriage is. It's the idea of, you know, a commitment even during the hard parts, but like you can make that commitment without those external frameworks of obligation. You just have to be actively choosing it. I mean, I'll give you all the structure points and all the anti-relationship anarchy points you want. Like, (laughs) anyway, but look, I think if you, if you need to be sort of solo and issuing all (laughs) structural support for your relationships in order to be a real relationship anarchist in the biggest of scare quotes then very few people get to meet this bar right and I think that there are definitely relationship anarchists who have at some point quietly gone to city hall and gotten married for the insurance you know (laughs) what I mean and like you'll see them at the farmer's market at some point and they will be helping out with you know loading up a truck or something and they'll casually mention that it was their 15th anniversary last weekend and you'll be like oh have you been dating for 15 years they'll be like no no dating for 19 years married 15 um, <laughs> and you'll be like the fuck um <laughs> that sounds like a personal story maybe that's pretty much how these things go right like and you know they've each got a couple other partners and you would never guess that this is something that's going on but oh see and and that's definitely an aspect where i would think that it definitely difficult to define me as a relationship anarchist because i kind of uh go like full informed consent aspects where I feel like a lot of them kind of go, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And you should trust that I'm making the decisions that we've agreed upon Mm. in our relationship. And I go, uh, no, I'm going to tell you all the shit that I'm up to. And hopefully you'll tell me the same shit. (laughs) And so we can make informed, uh, you know what I mean? Cause like we can make informed decisions. 
Yeah, I'm I'm much more air on the side of like disclose that you did particular activities with a new person who's seeing X number of people. Right. But like not more than somebody needs for like actual health information. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's that's like there's a privacy aspect there too. Yeah. That I think different people and that's actually, I think, are a good topic to kind of dig at a little bit is the definition and shared I would I want to say moralities but shared uh held held beliefs around privacy and what should be shared with others right and so it's one of those like alluded to values that's referenced in that manifesto like they don't give a definition of any of those. They just assume that you know what yours are. Right. Right. And so I think people's particular feelings on privacy is definitely one of those things to figure out. Right. Yeah. Because everybody's got like a different valence on like what they think is contained within a right to privacy or a not right to privacy. Oh yeah, and... I, I I had I had someone who I hooked up with after the fact told me like, oh, uh, y- like what was it? Uh, you can't tell anybody about our time together. <laughs> and <laughs> no. I think beyond a like a baseline of, I prefer that it not be disclosed beyond health information Mm. there can't be an expectation of anything further than that um like i mean like but again it's so expectation no um but i think that it can be discussed and defined uh so like for instance i mean I'll, i'll go personal here uh i'm very much of the idea that anything that i'm involved in is my story to tell Right. I think a conversation where like you see where your boundaries line up and having them line up anywhere between we both agree we can share details, anywhere from we both agree we can share details to we both agree we can disclose that this happened with our names and basic health info, anywhere in the middle there is sort of reasonable. Right. And it's just up to the two people or group of people interacting right i've definitely seen like falls and the bigger the group is the more likely it falls toward the just who was there and health information so so okay so we've talked about uh you know privacy so we've talked about um you know obligation slash expectation and the normative kind of Mm -hmm. trying to peel apart those bits Mm mm-hmm what other aspects do you think are important to talk about when we talk about relationship anarchy? Sometimes you don't know what you want or need, especially if it's a matter of needs and you're in transition. Right. Sometimes you may not know what you need now because like there have been changes in your life and you're in a different place. Right. And people can't really, can't always really account for that. Or articulate it. Yeah, right. They I'm in a position of change right now, but I, I want to still get my needs met, but I can't necessarily guarantee I'll meet yours. 
Like, <laughs> not exactly the <laughs> best sales pitch. Yeah. There are times in our lives where we're not always in the best place to be forming new connections also. And sometimes right. we have to admit that <laughs> too. Right. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes we kind of end up feeling like Pokemon hunters at that point and it's not great. Uh, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> but, uh, but in general, this sort of relationship anarchist idea that, as the manifesto says, love is abundant and every relationship is unique. And that relationships aren't built on a foundation of entitlement. Right. Is a pretty rich ground to start growing relationships on. So thanks again to David for being here and chatting with me about all of this. I hope that you all found it clarifying or at least interesting. So he doesn't have a whole ton of shameless self-promotion to do at the end of this, but as usual, I do. So I hope that if any of you are interested, you'll go check out the blog, at least the posts that are linked in the show notes on this topic. And if you'd like to subscribe and see future posts, uh, there is the form on the blog itself to get emails about future posts. So as usual, there's uh, the Patreon and the Ko-Fi at patreon.com slash ready for polyamory and ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory if you'd like to support us and keep the lights on. It's always very appreciated when you do that. Um, we are able to be followed on Twitter and uh, Instagram. The links for that are in the show notes. And generally, we're on all of the social media. We've got the Facebook page and the Facebook group now. And I think that's all of my shameless self-promotional links at this point. You can find all of that in the show notes. I hope that all of you have a wonderful week. And we'll see you on the flip side next Saturday. We've got a really interesting episode coming up. Uh, reviewing the new HBO Max movie called There Is No I in Threesome for you then. 